Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's sermon is from the series, The Coming Rescue. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Well, good morning and welcome to Forward Church. I'm so glad that you chose to worship with us today. It's great to see so many extra faces today because I know we have the kids here as well. Today's an exciting day because we're able to have our four kids and Propel Middle Ministry again. So this time, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss four kids and and the Propel Middle Ministry to go to your teaching environment. You guys can have a seat as they go. And um, just welcome you, and we're thankful for the teachers, the volunteers that are out there to help uh, make sure that our kids have a a socially distanced and safe time in their classrooms, and we're excited to be able to offer that once again, um, because it's good to see more people in the church, in the church building, so that we can worship together and just have that energy of our kids and our students here, Um, so we're thankful that that they are here with us today. Um, Wow, I just love gathering together with my church family for worship, and it's so good to to have worship this morning. I thank the team for spending the time and, and being a part of that, and for our tech team that's doing a good job of getting us online, so we have a live stream for those of you watching at home um, to make church available for you as well, the church service. So um, it's just good to, to be a part of Forward Church and, and what God's doing here. Listen, um, today we're continuing in our series through the Bible, and we're going to be in the book of Jonah. So you can go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah as um, we're going to study that today. But um, Jonah was basically a rebellious prophet, and he was angry with God. He was angry with God because God loved his enemies. So this is not really a prophet of God in the sense that we might think. When I think of a prophet of God, when I hear that term, a prophet of God, I picture a very loving, a very kind, a very humble man that has devoted his life to following God no matter what. But Jonah, as you dig into it, is actually an angry prophet, and he resents the assignment that God gives to him. So in this book, Jonah does not really focus on the words that God gave Jonah to speak, as is the case with most prophets. When you're reading one of the prophets, you're reading about the words that God gave them to speak to people. The book of Jonah is really focusing on the life of Jonah and how he responds to what God tells him to do. So we see how Jonah goes away from God and what he is supposed to be committed to do for God. Instead of doing that, he runs from God. So Jonah 1, 1 through 3 says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil, their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Hard word to say. Away from the presence of the Lord. So God tells Jonah the prophet to go to these evil people of Nineveh and to point them to God. And Jonah doesn't like this. He's upset that God would have him do this because, one, those people are evil. The Bible tells us they're evil. And what we know about the people of Nineveh is that they were basically terrorists of the day. They were extremely evil. They did horrible things. And and Jonah's life could have been in danger by going there. So that's part of why he doesn't want to go. But he also, he just does not like these people because they've been so evil and so harsh. And Jonah feels that the people of Nineveh deserve punishment, not to hear God's word. So instead, Jonah runs as far away as he can. And the Bible says he goes to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is as far west as you can go. And 
Nineveh is as, as far east. So the, the point that is being made here is that he's trying to get as far away as he can from what God is calling him to do. He's trying to run from that and say, I don't want to be any part of what you're asking me to do here, God. And listen, running from God, it never ends well. It never ends well when we try to run from God and get away from his plan for us. And the Bible says Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, isn't that kind of ridiculous when you think about it? You've got a prophet of God, and he thinks that he can run from the presence of the Lord. I mean, this guy is a prophet of God. God has given him specific words, and he thinks he can get away from that. But isn't that sometimes the same way that we think? We think we can get away from, from we think we can get away with a sin because we can hide it and quote, no one is watching. We think we can do something. We have a temptation and we go ahead and follow through on it because we think no one's there, no one sees it and it won't hurt anybody. But yet God is always watching. God is always there. We cannot run from his presence. Psalm 139, seven through 10 reminds us of this. It says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I free, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You know, when I was a kid, I remember playing hide and seek and I would find what I thought was the best place to hide and I would hide there. And then when I could sense someone getting close to me as I'm tucked in this little corner or behind a curtain, what I would do is I would just close my eyes, right? You ever been there? People are searching for you and I close my eyes thinking if I close my eyes and I can't see them, then surely they can't see me and they won't find me. And I think that oftentimes in life, we kind of live our life that way thinking that, well, if I just close my eyes, to what's going on around me. If I just close my eyes, then, then God doesn't see. If I close my eyes to this sin, then God doesn't see it. But you know what? You can close your eyes as tight as possible. You can run as far as you can. You can get on a boat. You can get on a plane. But you cannot outrun or get away from God. God is still there. God still knows. He still chooses then to hold you. He chooses to hold you in his right hand is what the scripture says, and that signifies his hand of power, his hand of protection. As a child of God, you are held in his powerful hand, and that's a beautiful place to be. That is a good place for us to rest and to trust in him when he tells us to do something. But we see Jonah here, and he's not resting in the right hand of God. Instead, he tries to flee. He tries to run from what God has for him. Verse 3 says, so he paid the fare. I think it's important because, you know what? When we try to run from God, there will always be a payment. When we try to run from God, we end up paying for it somehow. We run from God, God's ways in relationships, and we end up with broken hearts. We pay. We run from God in regards to finances, and we end up paying with selfishness and being addicted to stuff. We run from God in regards to connecting in the church and serving others, and then we end up paying for it by being isolated and alone, and then we get frustrated, and then we don't trust others when we're not connecting as he calls us to connect. We run from God, and we turn to sin, and we pay for it with a guilty conscience and the consequences of the sin that we commit, and we get terribly defensive when that sin is pointed out. We pay when we run from God. There's always some way that we're going to pay. So Jonah pays. And then he gets on this ship. You look at verses four through six says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. 
But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. You see, I think, one, I look at that and I go, well, how was Jonah sleeping and why was he sleeping? Well, one, I think running from God is tiring. Running from God, when we're living a life that's running from God, we don't want to deal with it. So I think Jonah went to sleep in the bottom of that ship because he didn't want to think about it anymore. He just wanted to wake up in Tarshish and be far from his problems, or so he thought. But guess what? You can't sleep on God. You can't sleep on him. God brought this great storm to shake him out of his slumber. God, God brought this, this great storm to wake Noah or Jonah up to what he was doing. So the captain wakes him up and he says, cry out to your God that he may save us. And they cast lots to see whose fault it is and the, the storm's raging against them and the lot falls on Jonah. And they, they ask him who he is that this storm would be against him. And in verse nine, Jonah responds. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now I think that statement is very telling because Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord yet he is living in complete disobedience to the God that he claims to fear. So how often do we make that claim as a Christian? We say, yes, I'm a Christian, but yet our lives are running the opposite direction from the Lord. You see, we can look at Jonah and say, how could he do that? How could he run from God? But we do the same things in our life. We will claim, sure, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to follow God and give a tithe like he commands in his Bible. I'm not going to trust him with my finances. I guess I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to go there. Don't ask me to do that. Well, sure, I'm a Christian, but, but I'm not going to follow his plan for, for sex and marriage because I think I know what's best, and surely God still loves me. God's a God of love, and we try to make excuses there. Or sure, I'm a Christian, but you know what? I'm going to chase after the things of this world like lust and drugs and self-gratification. Yes, I'm a Christian, but what the world thinks of me is more important to me than what God calls me to do. And we could go on and on with the scenarios, but sometimes we call ourselves a Christian and say, yes, I fear God, but our life and the way we're living doesn't reflect that. And that's what we find in Jonah, this prophet of God, is his life is not reflecting what he's claiming with his lips. And we can get caught in this trap of, pro of proclaiming God with our lips, yet our hearts being far from him. In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. And he says, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, I pray that that's never said of you. Do you know the right things to say? Do you know how to answer the questions on the Christian life and how you should be living? And do you put on a mask and show up to church and say, yeah, I'm a Christian and I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to follow God and I'm chasing after him? And, and do you have the right things, the right facade to put up, yet your heart and your actions in private or among friends reveals that your heart's not truly with God? If you do, if you're living that way, then be prepared. Be prepared that God may do something big, like bring a storm into your life to get your attention. So the sailors here, they ask Jonah, they say, what should we do? And Jonah has a solution. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, at first, this statement seems noble. Seems like Jonah's saying, okay, I'm going to do the right thing here. Yet, even in the solution, Jonah's still rejecting God's plan. He would rather die than go to Nineveh like God had told him. 
So he says, throw me in the sea. You know, I'd be better off if I just die and then you guys will be safe. So they throw him into the raging sea and immediately the sea calms. So I just kind of picture Jonah there treading water in this calm sea now. And he's thinking, well, what do I do now? Now I'm out in the sea. And I, I kind of picture in my mind, I think that because he's still running from God, that maybe, maybe, just maybe he could see Tarshish off in the distance. And I imagine that he probably thought, I'm still heading there. I'm going to swim there. And I'm going to get away from, from what God's doing. And I think as soon as he started to take the first stroke, chomp, this huge fish just swallows him up and God's plan takes over. I picture Jonah was still trying to get away in some way, so this plan of God takes over, and he gets swallowed by a huge fish. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I just love this part of the story. Jonah's trying his best to get away, doing everything that he can, but he cannot get away from God and God's plan. God appoints a fish to eat him. And Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. Talk about some downtime to reflect. There's a little bit of time when life's not going really like you wanted it to, but nothing else you can do, so he begins to pray. And I think what this text is showing us is that God is faithful even when we are not. We can try to run from him. We can get caught up in sin. We can be doing things that we shouldn't be doing, and God is still faithful to rescue us even when we're not faithful to him. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think Jonah saw that fish as the provision of God? Or do you think he saw it as punishment? I could imagine it was punishment. You know, as he got swallowed up, he's playing there going, what now? Oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. My life just keeps getting worse and worse. And now I'm in the middle, I'm inside this fish and I'm gonna get digested inside here. This is gonna be ridiculous. But I believe it was God's appointment. I think Jonah saw it as disappointment. So, how often do you think God allows or even appoints something in your life that you think is a huge punishment or it's a disappointment, but it's really God's provision to get you where he wants you? See, when I think back on some of the hardest times in my life, it was actually those times where I grew the most spiritually. It's in some of the most difficult things that I've had to face that I was able to really get refocused on God, sense his presence, seek him out, and draw nearer to him. Sometimes I didn't realize it at the time. I thought, why am I suffering like this? Why does this hurt so bad? But looking back, I can see how God was always at work. God was um, always there with me. He always had a plan. You see, God never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's always looking after us. He's always chasing after you. Because even in our unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. And God listens when we cry out to him. So in Jonah chapter 2 says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You see, God is faithful to answer when we cry out. And Jonah, he goes on to give this big prayer of remorse and thanks to God. He doesn't necessarily repent, but he's showing remorse, and he's thankful that God is answering him. And then God responds by putting Jonah back on the course to do his will. Jonah 2.10 says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, it's beautiful here that he doesn't just end up on some dry beach somewhere. Jonah looks up and realizes he's near Nineveh. He was trying to get as far away as he could. This fish swallows him, and God brings him back, and the fish vomits him up near Nineveh. So Jonah realizes that he's got to do what God has called him to do, that God is going to make it happen. So 
he heads that way. Jonah 3, 4 through 5 says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. First of all, aren't you glad that we serve a God of second chances? I'm glad. I've needed second chances. I'm glad we've got a God of second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. He's given Jonah chance after chance, and he's given all the people of Nineveh who were just evil a second chance. You see, God is faithful to give us second chances in third and fourth and fifth. The whole city of Nineveh, the Bible says, believed in God that day. And the amazing thing is this. Jonah is so bitter, he's so frustrated, he's so angry with God about having to preach to his enemy that he doesn't really preach a sermon. He doesn't tell them about God. He doesn't point out their sin. He doesn't tell them the need to repent. He just walks in and he, and he just harshly says, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then they all believe in God. It says they put on sackcloth, they fast, they, they devote their lives to God. It's simply a miracle, and it proves the point that the power is in God. It's not in a prophet, it's not in a priest, not in a king, and it's not in a preacher. The power is in God to rescue us and to turn us around and to revive us. See, it's interesting to note that the word that Jonah uses is overthrown. Nineveh will be overthrown. It can also be translated as overturned. Now, Jonah, I think, meant it as overthrown and destroyed. I think what he wanted for, for the city of Nineveh was that they would be destroyed. So he said, you're going to be overthrown. You're going to be destroyed. But that word can also mean transformed. The very same word can mean transformed. So God did what God wanted to do, and he transformed that city. He transformed them. Nineveh gets transformed, and Jonah's enemies repent, and they turn to God. So the point of the book of Jonah is that God is graciously willing to save anyone who will repent and believe in him. That's such a beautiful truth, and we, we love that truth. But it's kind of hard to accept sometimes when we think that, well, those terrorists that we know that are attacking and killing Christians, that God would save them as well. That's what the Ninevites were. So are we praying for those that are our enemies? Do we love those who are our enemies? And Jonah couldn't find his way to do that, but God is calling us to do that. Jonah is used by God to rescue this whole city of Nineveh, yet he's in great danger of missing out on salvation himself because he is saying no to God all along the way. And that is a sin that many religious people are guilty of. Many, I think, that are in religion are guilty of that. There's far too many people in the world, and even in the church, that say yes to God with their lips, but then are saying no to God in their hearts and rejecting God's plan for them, proclaiming one thing, but then the life speaks another. Listen, there's a reason why God says this in the book of Revelation to the church at Laodicea. He said, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now those can be terrifying words, or I like to look at it as their motivational words. You see, God wants you to be hot on fire for him. God wants you to be chasing after him. He says, I'd rather you be chasing after me with everything you've got or to be cold and not be chasing after me so that we know where you are. But if you're lukewarm and you're in the middle and you find yourself saying, yep, I believe in God, yep, I fear God, but then your life doesn't follow him, that's a very detestable place to be. God says, I'd rather spit you out of my mouth. Just like this fish just spat Jonah out. 
on the dry land. And Jonah's in that lukewarm place. Yes, I believe in God, but I don't want to do what he tells me to do. And that's a dangerous place to be. And you see, I think Jonah was upset with God because he saw the sin of Nineveh as different from his sin. He looked at the people of Nineveh and he said, well, well, they're adulterers, they worship idols, they're murderers, they're terrorists, they, they're brutal towards people, they reject God with their lips and with their life. So they don't deserve salvation. That's where he was coming from. You see, Jonah hadn't done those kind of things, but Jonah was still saying no to God. He claimed he feared God, but he still had so much to learn. So a whole city repents, and Jonah should be exploding with joy as one of God's prophets, right? Well, let's look at how Jonah responds. Jonah 4.1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He was exceedingly displeased and angry that these people had repented and were now following God. Unbelievable. You realize that most of the frustration in your life comes from thinking that God should have done something differently? I think if I look at a lot of the frustration in my life, it's been because I thought that God should have done this when he did that, and then I got frustrated over it. Jonah is in that place. He's exceedingly angry because God saved the people of Nineveh, which is crazy because everything that Jonah despises about what God has done for the Ninevites, he has experienced himself. There's no one in this story who's received more grace and second chances than Jonah. But Jonah finds himself resentful because he has ceased to think of himself as a sinner in need of God's grace. See, if you see yourself as basically a worthy person, if you think that God owes you good things, then when you see grace, it's shocking to you. Then you can get resentful when God seems to be blessing people that you think don't deserve it. Yet even in his resentment, we see how God's grace is greater than Jonah's sin. And God's grace is always greater than our sin. See, Jonah is so angry that he actually prays a prayer for God to take his life. So he tried to give his life when he jumped off the ship. Jonah 4.3 says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, can you believe that? Jonah would rather die than see his enemies become brothers and sisters in God's kingdom. Now, how is that possible, we ask? Well, I think a key to that response is that Jonah has become completely self-absorbed. He did not care about the people of Nineveh. He just wanted God to bless him. You see, we must humble ourselves to the point that we see others as more important than ourselves, than our own comforts, than our own selfish desires. So God responded to Jonah with this question in verse 4. He said, do you do well to be angry? He's just saying, hey, Jonah, the, the same grace I've shown you is the same grace that I've shown them. I mean, can you really be angry about that? But Jonah didn't want their repentance. He wanted their destruction. So he goes out of the city to pout. And then God displays more mercy to Jonah. Look at verse 6. Even in his pouting and rejection of what God has done, look at what God does for Jonah. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So God shows him more grace here. And for the first time, we see Jonah happy. He's exceedingly glad. He went from being exceedingly mad to now he's exceedingly glad. Well, why is he exceedingly glad? Well, because he is benefiting in his own comfort and his own convenience. So now, because he feels better and he's got this shade over him, he's happy again. Listen, this is important. 
We are always happy to receive God's provision, but only as long as it matches our preferences. You see, it matched his preference for the moment, so now Jonah is happy. The moment his provision looks different than what he expected, then he begins to complain again. And we can do the same thing. We say, thank you, Lord, for this food. But then we begin to complain because it wasn't cooked to our liking. We say, thank you, God, for the roof over my head. But then we begin to complain because, well, it's not the neighborhood I want. It's not out with as much land as I would like or, or whatever the situation may be. We thank God for a good job. And then we begin to complain because it's hard work. It starts to not meet our preferences. Jonah wants shade. God provides a plant. He loves it for the moment. But God's about to teach Jonah a great lesson. Jonah still hasn't realized that God's provision is not for his comfort, but it's for his calling. So here's what God does. Jonah 4.7 says, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. So you've got this situation. A miraculous plant grows over in, in a moment and has shade for him. And then a worm comes along and miraculously, that's a big worm or a hungry worm, kills this plant that is giving him shade and now the shade is gone. You see, God has more than one way of getting our attention. God sometimes uses the wind. That didn't work for Jonah with the storm. God sometimes uses the whale. That didn't seem to work for, for Jonah as well. So now God uses the worm to see if he can get his attention. But Jonah's furious again. So he was angry, seemingly glad. Now he's angry again. The sun's beating down on him, and he's uncomfortable. And once again, he says he would be better off dead than to have to suffer like this. Poor Jonah's shade is gone. And now he wants to die again. You see, as you look throughout the story of Jonah, Jonah was isolated. Jonah was alone. You never see him in relationship with anyone else. God is calling him to relationship, to reach out to people, but he's not doing it. He's staying isolated. He's staying alone. He's depressed because he's self-centered, and he's worried about me, myself, and my. So we have to ask ourselves, if we're frustrated in life because things aren't going our way, is that someone else's fault, or could it be on us? If I feel isolated and alone, is that because you have thought yourself better than others and stepped away like Jonah? Are you chasing after God and the things he's calling you to, or are you rejecting that and, and looking to selfish things? Difficult questions to ask ourselves, but they're very relevant questions that this story brings up for us. Because especially during this quarantine, during this time of isolation that we've been through, during this time of being alone, being separated from others, and when we're alone, then like Jonah, we can begin to think selfishly, and we can begin to think on our own desires, our own wants, and our own preferences, and we can start to think, well, why hasn't anyone reached out to me? Why is God allowing this in my life? God, why is my comfort gone? God, why isn't this, um, I, was, I was in a comfortable situation, and now I'm not. Now I've lost my job and I've got this fear of stuff around me. God, where did my shade go? Is what we can begin to ask. So what can we do? How can we keep ourselves from thinking selfishly? Well, I want to suggest a couple of things. First of all, it's impossible to think selfishly and feel alone when we're reaching out and encouraging others. That's what Jonah's missing in his life. He's not reaching out and encouraging others. Instead, he is wanting the worst for them, and he's wanting the best for himself. But when we flip that, there's this um, principle throughout Scripture of one another's. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. I think there's 100 of them, but 59 of them speak to how we are to relate to one another. Look those up this week and live them out. Begin living them out. It's a simple Google search. Go on Google and, and look it up, you know, one another's in the New Testament, and there'll be a list of those. And I know that sounds counterintuitive when we feel alone. The last thing we want to do is to reach out. You tend to think that others should reach out to you, but that's where the problem is. 
That's where Jonah's problem was. He was all about himself and focused on self. And that's why he was struggling so bad. By sitting around and sulking like Jonah did, wondering why others don't reach out, why God is allowing something in our life, we begin to feel this loneliness to the point that we say that I shouldn't even, it's better off that I'm not even here. But I can tell you, if you'll try this for one week, every single day, five texts or direct messages to five different people to encourage them. Think of that person at work that you haven't talked to in a while and just send them a quick text and just say, hey, I was thinking about you today and I said a prayer for you. And then think about that relative, your mom or your dad or brother or sister that you haven't um, talked to this week and send them a text and just say, hey, I was thinking about you today and I had a prayer for you or this God gave me the scripture to give to you and be an encouragement to them. Think of that coworker that you can reach out to. Think of that classmate, someone in your school or on your team and send five of those every day for a week And I guarantee you, God will begin to change the way you feel. You won't feel isolated anymore by reaching out and encouraging others. You then begin to get encouraged. It's amazing how it works. It's God's supernatural work in us. When we pour out and look outward, he begins to lift us up supernaturally from the internal. And we'll get responses from some of them. They may not all respond, but some of them will respond to us. And then now we are having connection with others. Then each day... I want you to read an encouraging scripture and meditate on that scripture all day. I've got seven of them here we're going to put up on the screen. Deuteronomy 31, 6, Psalm 55, 22, Proverbs 35, Isaiah 40, 31, John 14, 1 through 4, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, Galatians 6, 9. Now, there are a ton more scriptures that are encouraging to us, but start with those, write those down each day, focus on one of those, and you'll begin to see how God supernaturally encourages you through his word and he will, he will help you feel his presence and his plan for your life. I guarantee you your outlook on life will change the moment you begin to look out to encourage others and you allow God's word to encourage you. But listen, Jonah was doing none of that. Jonah was thinking selfishly and here's God's response. Verses 10 through 11 of chapter four says, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you do not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And then that's it. That's the end of the book of Jonah. We're left wondering if there'll be a Jonah part two. What happened to Jonah after that? God didn't tell us the rest of the story of Jonah, but he put a question before us. And the question before us that Jonah presents is, do you care more about plants or people? Jonah cared more about that plant than he did the 120,000 plus people in the city of Nineveh. Do you care more about temporary things like your comfort or eternal souls? Is your convenience and comfort more important than where a soul spends eternity? That's what God was presenting to Jonah, and that's what he's presenting to us. He's saying, what is it that you're focused on? What is it that you care about? What is it that you love, and how is it that you're living your life? Are you claiming that you're a Christian yet not following Jesus, or are you really fully in? Are you on fire for him? See, it sounds absurd, but if we think about it, what do we really care more about? Do we care more about lost people or our paycheck? So if we look at it, do we spend more time climbing the corporate ladder and trying to build our savings account and build our 401k, or do we spend more time trying to find how we can invest in God's kingdom for God's namesake? What matters more, lost people or popularity? 
Do you spend more time and energy focusing on finding that perfect Instagram picture and the right filter to make you look the way you want to look and in the perfect caption to put under it? Are you spending time trying to figure out how to find a way to creatively tell your friends about the love of Jesus and the gospel and the good news of salvation through faith in him? Are you more focused on your comforts and needs than the needs of those who are hurting and are homeless? See, I think it's easy for us to look at Jonah and just kind of knock him until we realize that we are Jonah. We have a tendency. We're prone to wander. We're prone to, to, to um, think selfishly. And God has put a call in all of our lives to share his love with others and to put the gospel of Jesus first in our life and to point others to that, to the forgiveness and salvation. Listen, a lot of our judgmental attitudes and our defensiveness when sin is pointed out in our own lives and our frustration with other people and our frustration with our job and our frustration with our boss or even our frustration with our church. It boils down to this. We can get isolated. We can get prideful. We can get self-centered just like Jonah. We can get disconnected from God and, and then we get disconnected from others and then we begin to think more highly of ourselves and our own opinions and what we desire and what we want instead of what God wants. And we begin to think of ourselves as great instead of God being great. And then we can become defensive because we don't like what God is calling us and asking us to do. See, the whole point of this is to reveal that our sin is great, but God's grace is greater. You know, if you look to the Gospel of Mark, telling stories about Jesus, and it uses language almost identical to that of Jonah. And again, you can see where all the scripture points to Jesus, and that's what we've been talking about throughout this series. But in the book of Mark, there's a story about Jesus, and, and both Jesus and Jonah were in a boat, and both boats were overtaken by a storm. Both Jesus and Jonah were found asleep in those boats, and in both stories, the sailors woke up the sleeper and said, we're going to die. Why are you sleeping? In both cases, there was a miraculous divine intervention and the sea was calmed. In the midst of the storm, Jonah said to the sailors, there's only one thing to do. If I perish, you'll avoid judgment and survive. And in the midst of the storm of our sin, Jesus says, there's only one thing to do. I have to die so that you can live. You see, Jesus is the coming rescue. Jesus is our rescue. Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights because of his disobedience. Jesus laid in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights because of our disobedience. That fish has spit Jonah out three, after three days to give him a second chance. Now, the Son of God walked out of the grave after three days to give all of us a second chance. If you haven't taken that second chance, I hope you will today. God's, God extends his grace to you through his son Jesus. You just have to humble yourself. You have to confess your sins Place your faith in the rescuing power of Jesus and then commit your life to following after him. Say, I'm not gonna be lukewarm anymore. I'm gonna be all about doing what I can to follow Jesus, knowing that you'll make mistakes, you'll stumble, you'll fall, but it's a repentant heart, a heart that says, God, I'm sorry for that and I wanna chase after you, that, that God loves and God holds you in his right hand. But if you're just claiming with your mouth, yes, I'll follow him, but with your life, you don't, he says, I'd rather spit you out of my mouth. Listen, you can be secure in the right hand of God today if you just place your faith in Jesus and you say from this day forward, I'm not gonna run from you, God. When you call me to do something, I'm gonna chase after it and I'm gonna do it no matter how difficult it is because I trust that you have a plan and you've got me in your right hand. You can do that today as, as we begin to sing in just a moment. We're gonna pray and just have our invitation like we always do. 
You know, today you can accept Christ in your living room. You can kneel down by your couch and just confess your sins and place your faith in Jesus. You can accept Jesus here today. You can come to the altar and pray and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He wants to rescue you from yourself. He wants to rescue you from your sin. You can do that at your chair if you want to. No matter where you are, you can receive salvation through faith in Jesus Christ today. The key is understanding God is greater than your sin. You cannot run from him. He longs to hold you in his right hand, and he desires for you to follow him with all of your heart and with your lips. Aren't you glad that God loves his enemies? I know I am. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you love your enemies. And God, sometimes that can be difficult to to recognize and to understand how terrorists that were against you and your kingdom, that you would rescue a whole city of them. God, may we have hearts that rejoice in that, to say, God, I'm so thankful that you give second chances. May we recognize that there's no sin greater than another. One might have bigger consequences, but that any sin separates us from you. So our sin that we have in our life separates us from you just like the people of Nineveh's sin separated them from you. So God, may we rejoice anytime someone finds their rescue that you've offered through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, some of us today who are watching online or are here in person, God, we've been living that lukewarm life and we've been saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to follow God in this certain area. God, I pray that your word would cut to our heart today and that we would just repent of that and that we would make the decision to say, from this point forward, I'm going to do my best to run towards God and not away from him. So if there's an area of life that anyone's feeling conviction in, I pray they'd lift that up to you right now. Father, for those who just need to turn to you and receive the rescue through faith in Jesus Christ, I pray they would do that now. With repentant hearts, we come to you, Lord. We praise you for your goodness and your grace and that you give us second chances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining this week's broadcast from Forward Church. We hope you'll join us next Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.